Well, a couple weeks ago, Matt wrapped up our series on Romans. And before he begins the next series on Nehemiah, we're taking a few weeks break. And so I'm also taking a break from the series in James that I have been working through as well. Uh, slightly more topical for the occasion today. Because we have arrived at the final day of 2017. Some of us are just glad that it's over. Some are already focused on the opportunities that 2018 holds. Many of us are left wondering where the time went as each passing year just seems to move by faster and faster. For all of us, another one is in the books. And whether filled with regret or triumph, this is another one that we don't get back. Time marches forward and we don't get to hit pause or rewind. Happy New Year's. There were undoubtedly highlights and lowlights of your year. Whether we like to admit it or not, much of, what, much of it was likely lived in autopilot, going through the same routines, boring circumstances, day after day after day. And probably, if you're like most of us, other than a couple days at the end of the year, perhaps, most of us don't stop much to consider the bigger picture than the daily grind that we find ourselves in. Or maybe much of 2017 hasn't been boring at all because you've been too busy to be bored. Likely, for most of us, it's lived going back and forth between the two. Moments of tedium, followed by moments of rush and hurry. If you take time to reflect, you wonder as well what the busyness has produced. Whether all the busyness has strengthened your relationships made you a better disciple, or parent, or spouse, or friend, whether you're just spinning your wheels without ever really getting further ahead. Do you want 2018 to be different? Now, I'm not talking about whether or not you want your circumstances to change. Some of those will. Some of those won't. Some You'll change by your actions and decisions. And others, well, you'll experience change that comes about by events that you could not or would not ever choose. We don't know what this year holds. Now, I'm talking about purpose and meaning that affects how we make decisions and gives us perspective in our boredom and in our busyness. Now, the Bible doesn't have any headings that say New Year's Eve message. But it does have plenty to say to those that would take an opportunity to reflect on how their time is invested. In the bigger context of what we are living for. So to look at one example of that, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. And, and the main idea that I think this holds for us, that we will see throughout 
our time together this morning is that the importance of this life is what it produces for the life to come. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Before we go any further, let's pray and ask God for his help as we seek to be hearers this morning. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to move among us, to illumine our hearts and minds, to allow us to hear and comprehend and to be doers of your word. Help me as I speak. May it be what you desire for us to hear. Help each one hear as they sit and listen to be attentive to be aware of your voice speaking. Would you help us not to be the same people as when we came in this morning? This is only possible by your presence among us. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. This life is important, but not for all the reasons that this world often thinks. This world thinks that this life is important because this is all there is, so we should live it up. Or that one person can change the world, so get to it. That's what makes this life important. Or that it's not the number of breaths you take, but the moments that take your breath away. So live life to the fullest. Or that love conquers all. Until the sequel, when that love has cooled down and we're all a bit more cynical now. The world really can't do much better when seeking to find meaning for this life, then this life is important because it's the only one you've got. To all those claims, Scripture clearly asserts the importance of this life goes well beyond this life to what it produces for the life to come. It is important to know the context of the passage that we've just read. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. So, 
from what we know of the Corinthian church, he, of course, is addressing divisions within the church. A couple verses before, he is responding to reports of different factions claiming, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. And so he is seeking to shut down that type of conversation. First of all, he says, because that's a very human way of thinking. Your mind is not in the right place if if you're seeking to follow human leaders. It's also foolish, Paul points out, because Paul and Apollos are on the same team. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Both planter and waterer are God's fellow workers, and each will receive wages according to his labor in God's field. Then as we get to the verses that we've just read, Paul switches metaphors and says that the church is God's building. And Paul was faithful to lay the foundation. And after his departure, others have built upon it, which brings us to our point in this passage. Paul's making it clear to them that that would seek to highlight different leaders. He's saying, the measure of my craftsmanship or Apollos or any other co-laborer, well, that's not decided by you, the Corinthians. You are not the ones that determine the measure and the fruitfulness of the investment that I have made. It's not about who is most popular or who has the largest Sunday school class or who raised the most money. Paul's appeal isn't, guys, remember when I was with you how awesome you thought I was? Long before you ever even heard the name of Apollos. No, his argument is each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. The day of judgment will reveal who has built with gold, silver, and precious stones, who has built with wood, hay, and stubble. To Paul, no other assessment matters. Now, though Paul is here directly referencing leaders and their building And the testing they will go through, we'll see in just a minute that this principle clearly applies to us all. As Paul's making these declarations, this isn't about Paul being true to himself, but about him being true to his commission. He was made an ambassador of the gospel, and he was faithful to lay a solid foundation, the only foundation, Jesus Christ. And as Matt read at the end of our time of worship, Jesus Christ and him crucified from the chapter before this. He knows he will receive a reward on the final day because he knows his work will stand the test. Yes, even the test of fire on the day of judgment. But he's also aware all deeds, all work will not stand this test. 
He's not talking about a work salvation. It's important to recognize he's talking about the foundation that he has laid. The only foundation is that of Christ. He's not saying that these who have faulty works will themselves be lost. He's saying they will be saved, but only themselves. They don't get credit. They don't get reward on that final day for the works that they have done if they have not built with gold, silver, and precious stones. Their works will be lost, and only they themselves will be saved. This isn't the only place where Scripture reveals that you can be at the top of your game in the world's eyes, or have lots of acclaim, and it not matter one bit when viewed through the lens of eternity. The Scripture couldn't be clearer that salvation, salvation is not, it is never by our works but by God's gift, the gift that comes through Jesus Christ alone, through the finished work which he has accomplished for us, through his perfect life, sacrificial death, glorious resurrection, and now as he is ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, he is our only hope for salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But Scripture also couldn't be clearer that His redeemed people are to live and work for Him. The the verse continues, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not saved by good works, but we're created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what we see in 1 Corinthians 3 is that Paul adds that work for Christ will be rewarded by Christ. Have you ever taken the time to consider the connection between this life and the next? If, this, if the next life is just a place where everyone gets a harp, floats in the clouds, and it's the exact same for everyone... What do we do with passages like this where it clearly talks about believers receiving rewards or suffering loss on judgment day? Being saved themselves, but a clear distinction in what forever is going to look like. What will happen on that day and the commendation that will be received or the loss that will be realized. What do we do with all the parables of faithful servants receiving commendation and reward according to what they have done that Jesus preached during his earthly ministry? What do we do with verses like Hebrews 11:6, where it says, "And without faith, it is impossible to please him." 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. With just a quick reminder that that was written in the context of a chapter full of saints who didn't receive their reward in this life. But it says that they were looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Part of the integral part of our faith is believing that God relates to our actions in this life. Not to save us, but because he wants to bring about blessings for us that may never be realized here, but that will have eternal consequences. How are we to take admonitions like Jesus' command not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth? Not because treasures are evil, but because here moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Instead, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they won't be corrupted and they won't be taken from you. Now again, 1 Corinthians 3 was specifically Paul highlighting this principle with leaders. But that's not the case with any of these other verses we've just referenced. These are all about discipleship for every believer. If salvation and eternal life are little more than a fire insurance policy for us, well, then it makes sense that we would give little consideration regarding what comes next other than being relieved that it's not the bad place. But if the purpose of this life is not just to get us into the next one, but to prepare us for it, there are a lot more implications from this life than just whether we believe the right formula or said the right prayer. Every day after coming to faith matters for eternity too. It's not just a one-time thing that gets us in and then we have no thought to give to what is forever. What crowns will we have there to cast at his feet? What role will be given us in his kingdom? What will he entrust us to there based on our faithfulness here? Look, I want to be absolutely clear. I believe in grace alone. It's only by grace that we are saved. But his grace doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop just in getting us into heaven's door. The good works we produce, well, we've just read, they're those that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the ability to walk in them is provided by his indwelling, empowering presence. And get this. Once we have walked in, those good works, given the ability that he has empowered us to carry them out, 
he rewards us for doing them. Think about that equation. It's all of grace from first to last. From the idea of them in the beginning to the empowering of doing them to the rewarding for having been faithful to walk in what he has prepared for us. Believing God is a rewarder is not a different gospel. It's seeing a fuller picture of the depths of his graciousness. A single moment after we pass from this life into the next, friends, we'll have a clarity that will be unrivaled by anything we've experienced in the 50 or 70 or 80 years that we live on this earth. The importance of our actions then will be absolutely clear in that moment. Some of the clarity that escapes us right now most frankly because this is all we know. And what comes next can be hard to imagine. But be very aware that hard to imagine doesn't equal not real. For the child in the womb, it's hard to imagine majestic mountains and cool running streams. Vast forests, tropical islands, because all they have ever known is their dark, wet, cramped world. It isn't possible for them to fathom cities and farms and basketball games and Super Bowl parties. That doesn't mean those things aren't real. The reality of those Places and experiences aren't hindered by the baby's inability to picture them. And though that child currently knows nothing beyond their dark, muffled world, it doesn't negate the fact that there truly is life after birth. And that that life is filled with wonders incomprehensible in their current state. Without question, there is so much awaiting us in our permanent life, in the life to come, our life without end, forever with him. There is so much awaiting us there that we can't comprehend or begin to wrap our minds around. But we do know enough to know it will be glorious Because we know the one who is preparing it for us. Because we know that he is preparing it for us to be with him. We need to remember what the main point is. The bride mustn't get so wrapped up in the the wedding gifts. A new home. She overlooks the bridegroom. The reason she's there. And for us, that's a reminder that 
whatever crowns, whatever rewards, whatever treasures await us that are accumulated in this life and transferred to that one, well, we can be assured that they will forever be used to make much of him. Because we aren't the point of all of this. Yet he is preparing this place for us. And think about that for a minute because he's not just taking us to where he's been for eternity past. It says that he's preparing a place for us to be with him. He's preparing the perfect place for us to enjoy him forever. Where forever we will reside with him as our God and us as his people. Yes, much clarity is missing because, well, there are ways that we don't have eyes to see yet. And there are ways that what awaits us is more wonderful and amazing and so far beyond what any eye has seen or ear has heard or heart has imagined. But we must not allow that lack of clarity to cloud or excuse that which he has made clear. That elements of our eternal existence and experience are determined by, are affected by today. Our actions, our faithfulness in this life our obedience of his commands to be fueled by our love for him, our love for one another. Our love for one another and our faithfulness to walk in that which he has called us to, it matters. It's not without consequence. The fruit we bear by the Spirit in this life will ripen fully and be enjoyed forever in the life to come. We may not be clear on how that transference takes place exactly or precisely what it will look like, but friends, we should be clear that it will take place. If you were living in South Carolina 150 years ago at the conclusion of the Civil War and heard about an opportunity to convert your Confederate bills to U.S. currency, you'd be a fool not to trade it all in. Once the deadline hits, those Confederate bills won't be worth the paper they're printed on. Friends, our deeds, our possessions, our accomplishments and accolades, they hold no value in the next life if they haven't been converted to eternal currency if they haven't been done for Christ and in his strength they'll be burned up as wood hay or straw in the fire we've been told enough to know that this life is about more than just making it through more than just making ourselves comfortable here. It's about more than just this life. 
Let's put it another way for those that are more mathematically inclined. We live in the dot. Short period of time that is finite and will soon come to its conclusion. Now, for some of us, our dots may be a little bit larger than others. But whether it's 30 years or 70 or 95, it's still limited. It's still coming to an end. It's still defined. Now, we're to live in the dot, but we're to live for the line, that which keeps on going and going. It begins at the dot, but it has no end. How short-sighted would it be to live only for the dot when the impact on the line is so much greater? Let me encourage us to look for ways to remind ourselves of the big picture day by day. To remember that this world is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. Right now I'm here as an ambassador of that world, but My responsibility as an ambassador is not to fall in love with this world or to follow all its ways, but to stay connected to that world, to be an advocate for that world, to connect others to that world. My goal is not to live my best life now. I need to remember that. My goal is to live my best life forever with him. To not be worried about storing up things here and now, but to store up those that will never fade, that will never be taken from us. What can I do this week to grow in my love for in my relationship with the one that all of eternity is about. If we're preparing for our time there, what books can be helping me to be growing in that relationship, getting to know him better, longing for me to see him more with unveiled eyes, eagerly anticipating that day And not just living for this one. How can I pray to ask him to help me to love him more? To pursue my relationship with him more? That I won't have regret or loss on that final day. Is there a specific way he's calling me to love and invest in someone for eternal fruit? Who are those that he's placed around me that I can invest my time? Moments, hours now that might pay eternal dividends. With my kids, God, would you help me not to focus on moral rules 
aimed at making my life easier, but engaging their hearts with the eternal one. And quick plug for a parenting seminar that we'll be rerunning in February. Great focus of that. Um, It'll be coming up in just a few weeks, but where the idea is really engaging our kids' hearts with God. That's our goal as parents. Not just for outward appearance so that we look good or peace in our homes so that we get the comfort and ease that we want, but making sure they're connecting directly with God himself. This week, is there any way my scheduler, my checkbook, can reflect an eternal focus? Can my sickness or suffering, can I direct that? Can I use that to focus on building anticipation for what is to come next? Can those things, instead of being reason for complaint for me, can I train myself to long for, to anticipate, to be eager for that day that is coming? Let me show the picture I sent. These are some friends from Virginia who years ago counted out the number of weeks till their 70th birthdays. And they filled a jar with that many marbles. And then they placed it on the mantle, and each week they would remove a marble from the jar to remind them that another one had passed. Another one we don't get back. To remind them with a visual, tangible representation of approximately what they might have left as far as opportunities go. I think it's a great picture. And I'm, I'm not selling marbles, okay? If you're so inclined, great. Find some marbles or pebbles. Or 70 years, the time till then seems too far off that wouldn't have much impact right now. You can do the same thing with the 52 weeks of 2018. But marbles aren't the point. They're just a reminder that we need to find ways to remember that there's a bigger picture. A few years ago, when many would be contemplating retirement options, that couple chose to move to a more expensive, congested area to serve on a church plant, which all but eliminated any hope of retirement for the foreseeable future. As they prepared for their move, Prior to landing work in their new location, they decided to simplify and downsize so that they could reduce their living costs. Instead of selling their possessions to provide for their next phase, they gave it all away. Down to the bed they were sleeping on. Last I heard, too long ago, they're still living with another family in the church to make all that possible. They are not wealthy, in good part because they had an ongoing lifestyle of generosity, and this was actually not their first time giving away much of what they owned. Now, I want to be clear, I mention them only as an example. This is not the standard or the rule. This isn't something that I'm saying we all need to strive towards. My purpose in bringing them up 
is simply to highlight that their eternal perspective went far beyond the marbles on the mantle. Their awareness of their location within the dot fueled their investment of both time and resources. Right now, they're, they're currently at an age where there are a few marbles remaining in the jar. The fact that they're reminded of not only when looking at the jar, but also because of health issues that they've each faced in recent years. I'll just be honest with you. Aspects of their life have not been as easy as they would have been had they made some different decisions. And they still fight for faith like everyone else. Friends, setting themselves up for this life was never their goal. Their actions have repeatedly been consistent with that. I want to encourage us just to identify one way, one way this week God is calling you to live consistent with an eternal perspective. If you come up with a whole list, great. Just asking that we each look for one way, one thing he might be calling us to do, one thing that can be a step in fixing my eyes on forever and what is coming, what may be hard to see right now, but what is certain and true. And maybe you've never considered the impact of this life on the next beyond a prayer that you prayed years ago. Maybe you've only thought of God as a taskmaster and hadn't realized how much Scripture speaks of the gracious rewards he's eager to give to us. I would just encourage you that as we transition from this year to next, that you ponder these things. And by his grace, may God grant us the testimony of a totally different assessment when we're at the end of 2018. Much of what is yet to come is beyond what we can comprehend. But enough has been revealed for us to prepare and, I trust, be excited for our long tomorrow. The importance of this life is what it produces for the life to come. So let's ask him for his help now to live for what matters in 2018. Will you pray with me? And can the band go ahead and come forward? C.T. Studd famously wrote, one life to live, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Lord, as we have been reminded of these things this morning, we pray that you would impress them upon our hearts and minds, that you would bring specific steps, specific actions, that you would be calling us to, that you would help us to walk in faithfulness to that which you have prepared for us. This isn't about our willpower or our resolve. 
It's about what you've prepared, about what you will empower us for. How amazing that you would then, in turn, as we just walk in what you have made a way for us, that you would bless us on top of that. How gracious you are. How amazing you are. How good you are. Lord, would you fill us with awe at your love and your care for us? Not just to get us to forever, but to bless us beyond anything we can imagine now. How amazing you are and how worthy you are of our praise. Would you help us live in a way that we realize that this life is about more than today. But it's about forever. Help us to live consistent with that, we pray.